So we're continuing on the series that we uh, have started several weeks ago. Uh, we've Through this summer, we've worked our way through chapter by chapter through the Gospel of John. And we are reaching the end of, of our journey with John. Um, we do these last weeks, again, these last few weeks, we have kind of transitioned into this little sub-series within the Gospel titled The Words Are Read because these these last four chapters that we're going to cover, we're going to end next week with John 17. And so, but we start with John 14, 15, 16, and 17. Most of the words in those chapters are read because Jesus speaks through um, those four chapters, right? It's literally the last hours of his life. And, and in those moments is when he taught kind of the most important things. It's, it's when Jesus you know, knows that his time with the disciples is very limited, and this is where he, he drives home the most important points. Now, just pausing not to say is once we're going to finish out this John series next week with John 17. And, and yes, I do know that's not the end of the gospel, right? It, it goes, but it is where we pick up with the Easter story. And so starting in John 18 is where we, we go, Jesus goes to the cross, and, and you know, we're going to pick that story back up when it comes to Easter season. But so we have one week, um, next week, a very important chapter next week in John 17, because the entire chapter is a prayer of Jesus. And so um, we're going to dive into that next week as we wrap up this, this uh, John series. But, but I say that is, is that I want to extend a challenge to all of us, our church family, for this next series we're going to go into. It next, so sorry, next week we'll finish John. The week after that, we are going to be starting a new series titled Why We Do What We Do. And so we are literally going to go and, and examine biblically our core values and the vision and mission of our church and why we do what we do. And we're going to spend several weeks on that. And, and, and to say that one of our core values and one of what we're going to jump into in that series, right, is core value number four, that everyone is welcome. And now with that said, is I want to extend that challenge to all of you now, all of our church family, okay, that, that I want you to be praying right now about who you are going to invite to, to come to that series with you. Right? Who needs to hear the core foundation of our church and, and why we do everything that we do? Okay, and so um, I encourage you to, to, I hope, dive into that series right, as we examine those things together as a church family. But I don't want you to do it by yourself. I want you to invite somebody to attend with you. Okay? And if you're in person, you can invite them to come with you in person. If, if you're with us online, invite them to your house to watch with you online. But we are going to, as a church family, kind of go back to the basics of why we do church. Right? And what is our mission and our vision and our core values. And, so, um, and at the core of what we do is the gospel message. Right? And so if you, whether you have friends or family that are not connected to a church, ones that even don't know Jesus at all, I encourage you to invite them to go through this series with you. Can, you, can we accept that challenge, church? All right, I, I hope so. I see nodding. I heard one yes, so that, that's very encouraging for what we're doing now. But this, so, yeah, that's our challenge, right, is that we're going to dive into that series, but we're not going to do it. Again, alone. We're going to invite somebody. So be praying now. I get that opportunity, right, to have that conversation. Again, host a watch party online. Invite them to your house. Come, come with you in person. Uh, but as we jump in that, here in two weeks, so you have two weeks to complete that invitation. All right? All right. So here we are, John 16. Uh, if you high five with you, might open with me up to John chapter 16. As I said, we're continuing, again, through these, these red letters of these chapters. 
Um, you see, the first part of John 16 is actually where we ended last week. We, I included these first few verses, uh, John 16, 1 through 4, and it was kind of the conclusion of this, this vine, uh, true vine, and the branches teaching that Jesus went into and then dove a little deeper into all of that into John 15. And now we get into um, John 16, which is really just a, a, a continuation of the same teaching. And we've seen in John 14, as well as John 15, that Jesus focuses on the Trinity and this, this core doctrine of our faith and of how we serve one God, or we have one God. And again, that's what sets Christianity apart from many other world religions, is that we are a monotheistic faith, right? Mono being one theistic God. We have one God. But yet this one God is manifested in three different ways. And we see him work through these three different personalities of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. And here in John 16, Jesus continues on with this teaching as he um, dives deeper into not just the Trinity, but specifically the role of the Holy Spirit. Right? And remember, the disciples, again, as they've walked with Jesus, he keeps telling them that, that I'm about to leave. You can't go where I'm going, but it's important for you that I go because when I go, this advocate will be poured out for you. And so Jesus dives deeper into the Holy Spirit here in John uh, 16. And so we are going to read this morning, um, pick up at John um, chapter 16, verse 5. So you can follow along with me here. Verse 5. It says, But now I am going away to the one who sent me, and not one of you is asking where I am going. Instead, you grieve because of what I've told you. But in fact, it is best for you that I go away. Because if I don't, the advocate won't come. And if I do go away, then I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world of its sin and of God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. The world's sin is that it, it refuses to believe in me. Righteousness is available because I go to the Father and you will see me no more. Judgment will come because the ruler of this world has already been judged. There's so much more that I want to tell you, but you can't bear it now. And when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth and he will... Um, not speak on his own, but will tell you what he has heard, and he will tell you about the future. He will bring me glory by telling you whatever he received from me, and all that belongs to the Father is mine. This is why I said the Spirit will tell you whatever he receives from me. Okay, so I want to pause there, because Jesus, as I said, dives deeper into not just the, the roles of the Trinity, and notice he describes the different roles of the Trinity here again in chapter 16, but he specifically talks about the Holy Spirit, okay, about the, the, the advocate. And, and as we see in these passages, or in these verses, that Jesus identifies four things that the Holy Spirit will do. Okay, now, again, as we fast forward to now, the Holy Spirit's already been poured out, right, is the Holy Spirit lives in the heart of each believer, but these are still the things, right, that the Holy Spirit does and accomplishes still today in 2020. Hey, uh, when, when we see here in verse 7, once again, Jesus talks about this advocate. Now, this, um, this word that it, Jesus uses, okay, the Greek word he uses is the word paraclete. Now, this word can be translated in several different ways. And just like in any language, when we go between languages, we lose some of the connotations of words. Okay, but the full... Um, kind of definition or translation of this word that Jesus uses for the Holy Spirit, it can be translated as advocate, but also as comforter, as encourager and counselor. 
So not just our advocate, right, but all of these other um, manifestations of the Holy Spirit in, in ways that, that he works in our lives. And then Jesus starts in verse 8, right, where he gives some very specific things that the Holy Spirit does to fulfill this, this wide, broad range of, of things to accomplish through the Holy Spirit. The first one is this, that the Holy Spirit convicts the world of sin. The Holy Spirit convicts the world of sin. Now, again, we don't, um, we don't know that we're doing wrong until we know that it's wrong. Right? Everything seems right until you realize that it's not right. How do we realize it's not right? Well, it's by the Holy Spirit. Right? Because if we don't have God in our lives, right, then there is no moral standard. If there is no God, there's no moral standard. But the fact there is a God means that he gets to decide the moral standard. Remember back in 14, who has the authority? The Father has the authority. Right? It is the Father's house. The Father gets to decide what is right and wrong. And the Holy Spirit then comes and opens our eyes to the fact that we are living in darkness. Again, as we live in darkness, until we have light, right, darkness is just normal. Remember, the theme of the gospel, one of the central themes of the gospel is the fact that God's presence is light. And it shines light into a dark world. And when we see that light, that's when we then realize that we are living in the darkness. And so this, this continuation then of once we know it, then the Holy Spirit continues to shine that light into our lives, which is an ongoing accountability of God. Because the more that he shines, the more that he reveals, and the more he reveals, the more that we know. And the more that we know, the more we have to be held accountable to that knowledge, which is what Jesus established in chapter 15. Right? As, as we realize this and we, we see how, how much we need, again, the Holy Spirit in our lives to, to see dark our lives and even our own hearts really are. Right? And it is through the Holy Spirit that we get convicted of that sin. Again, Paul in the, the letter to the Romans reiterates this fact in Romans 3.23. When he says, for everyone has sinned and we all fall short of God's glorious standard. Again, who has sinned? All of us have sinned. Right? But we cannot even acknowledge that fact until the Holy Spirit reveals it. Right? So the number one thing, the first thing that Jesus describes here is that the Holy Spirit convicts the world of its sin. And the next thing he points out is that the Holy Spirit reveals God's righteousness to the world. Because, again, in the same act, right, when light enters darkness, not only do we realize that we're actually dark, right, but we also realize how holy God is. Again, the only time that we realize we are, again, our sin is bad is when it's compared to something that is good. You see, the Holy Spirit, again, reveals God's righteousness to the world. Because compared to God, we are not righteous at all. We fall very short of God's standard. And again, it's not that God made this up. It's just God's, it's God's character, God's holiness that sets the standard. 
And yet we look through the gospel. If you remember through the gospels, we studied through it, right? The religious leaders of the time, right? The, these Pharisees and religious leaders that Jesus got in so many confrontations with. If you can see this theme of the gospel for them is that they were claiming their own righteousness over and over again. Again, they, they claimed their own righteousness in, way, in, in lots of ways other than through Jesus. They claimed to be children of Abraham they, in chapter 8. They claimed to be disciples of Moses in chapter 6, in chapter 9. They said that they are subject to the Torah and the law in chapter 5, in, and several times in 5, in 7, okay? in chapter 8, in chapter 9, in chapter 10, in chapter 11, and in chapter 16. They, 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 they look over and over and over again, and they look at Jesus and says, We don't need you, Jesus. We are already righteous. And yet, Jesus reiterates here, right, that not only does the Holy Spirit convict the world of its sin, but it also reveals the fact that we do not live up to God's holiness. Paul, once again, reiterates this fact in Romans chapter 5, verses 6 and 8. And he says, when we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. And God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Right, do I have to be perfect to come to God? Absolutely not. Right, Jesus died for me when I was still a sinner. I was still lost in my darkness, and Jesus still stepped in to pay the price for my sin. Right? He, the, the light entered the darkness. The word became flesh. John chapter 1. Again, we are not relying on righteousness that comes through earthly things like the religious leaders of the time, whether it's through Abraham, through Moses, or through the law. They have rejected the divine plan to find righteousness through the Messiah. And the Messiah is Jesus. Again, notice in verse 9, okay, what their real sin is. Jesus says, again, in verse 9, he says, The world's sin is that it refuses to believe in me. Right, the only unforgivable sin is to deny Jesus. He says, that is the sin that they need to be atoned for, right? That's the ultimate sin that even the religious leaders needed to recognize. Not only does the Holy Spirit convict us of our sin and, and show us, again, the righteousness of God, but, but the third thing that Jesus points out is that the Holy Spirit helps us realize that judgment is coming. Right? It makes us realize that, that, that God's holiness and my fallen sinful you know, um, status is a problem, right? And it's a problem since we're all, we are all sinners. It's a problem we all have. Again, Jesus' death at first is going to seem like a victory to these religious leaders. But soon it will be revealed as the opposite for those who don't believe in Jesus. Because of his resurrection, his exaltation, and his glorification. Because the fact is Jesus came to save us, 
which he accomplished by dying on a cross and rising again on the third day. And so the real victory is his. But not just his. The victory is not just his. The victory is also ours. Right? The victory is, is anybody who receives Christ as their Savior, who believes in that fact and accepts him into their life. Again, Paul, once again, in, in Romans chapter 6, he tells us, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Right, we all have the same problem, but yet we all have the same solution. Which is joining the journey of faith and receiving Christ into our life and accepting that free gift of forgiveness and purity and eternal life. As we see this, right, we know that judgment is coming. In fact, Jesus tells us that the end is already written. He, he even says right here in verse 11, he says, the ruler of this world has already been judged. Again, this, this fact, and just I encourage you to kind of circle verse 11, because that's, that's very important. Because it shows us a lot about the nature of who God is and his heart for us. Because, again, who, um, who needs hell, right? Hell was designed for the ruler of this world. It was never designed for us to be separated from God for eternity. It was never meant for us. It was meant for Lucifer. Right? And, and the enemy, again, is trying to take as many of us with him to his ultimate doom. The end has already been written. God wins. And then we see there in verse 13, and it says, Then the Spirit of truth comes, and he will guide you into all truth, and he will not speak on his own, but he will tell you what he's heard, and he will tell you the future. Again, as, as we realize that that judgment is coming, and that is the future that's the reality for every human. The judgment is coming. But we also see in that verse, right, that, that the Holy Spirit guides us into all truth. Again, Jesus has, has addressed truth and deceptions many times throughout the gospel already. Right? And, the, and the Holy Spirit will continue the work that Jesus has started. Right? He will reveal to us who God is. This journey that we go on in our faith, as we learn more and more about God and ourselves, is the Holy Spirit opening our eyes to what is really true. Right? As we sang one of the songs this morning, right, that the veil is torn. Right? The veil within the Holy of Holies was torn because God's presence no longer is just confined to the Holy of Holies. It is now in everyone's heart. And when Jesus, and when, when we accept Jesus, and, and then we, the Holy Spirit is poured out, and it lives in our heart, right? Then we, we see what the world really is. And Jesus tells us that the Holy Spirit will, will reveal more about the future. Again, we have the Holy Spirit living within our hearts in this in-between time between Jesus' first coming and whenever his second coming is. 
Now, we don't know when that's going to happen, but we do know we're closer now than we've ever been. And sometimes we look around our world and think it might be pretty close. Right? But the truth is we don't know, and, and, and that's okay. We can trust God with, with that knowledge. But look back at, at these verses. Look back at these four things, again, that the Holy Spirit does. What Jesus did with the disciples in that time, in this moment, and what he's, he shows us right now is he shows us how to be saved. Right, this is the gospel message. And Jesus was telling everybody, this was why I came. To accomplish this mission. This mission of saving the world. Again, the Holy Spirit does not stop doing these things when you become a believer. As you say, right, when you join the journey of faith and accept Christ as your Savior, it starts a new journey. And the new journey is figuring out all how the Holy Spirit works in your life every day. Right, and he continues to open your eyes to new things. Right, that is what, again, gets us to grow and to move forward in our journey of faith is when the Holy Spirit continues its work. And our journey does not end when we receive Christ as our Savior. It starts. And then we see this, this next section, the rest of chapter 16. Okay, and... and Jesus starts off this section with verse 16. And he says, And in a little while you won't see me anymore, but a little while after that you will see me again. Now for us, right, as we're looking back at the story, this seems like that Jesus is just being master of the obvious. Right, you won't see me, then you're going to see me again. And, and again, to us this makes sense because we look back at it and realize, and we've already seen the whole story play out of his resurrection and, and of his ascension and all that. But to the disciples, this was a very confusing statement. Right, and the verses that follow um, is this interesting dialogue between Jesus and the disciples as he once again explains all of this one more time in clearer and clearer language. In fact, when we see here in verses, literally verses 19 through 28, Jesus pres presents no new information. Right? Everything that he talks about in those verses, he's already talked about over and over again with the disciples. And yet he reiterates to them, Right, in these next few days, again, they will experience sorrow like they've never experienced before. And yet he also reiterates to them that that sorrow will also be turned upside down into joy. Again, and how they will use his name to access the Father. Once again, no new information. And then we get, right in the middle of this, we see... Verse 20, where Jesus says, I tell you the truth, you will weep and mourn over what is going to happen to me, but the world will rejoice. You will grieve, but your grief will suddenly turn to wonderful joy. Again, Jesus is looking at them and says, hey, it's going to seem like a victory for them, right, in just a few hours. But, I, but, but just stay tuned because I am about to take everything that seems real and I am going to flip it upside down. And, and the, again, the truth that was 
that was absolutely true for the disciples, it was true for the world as a whole, and it is still true for us today, is that Jesus is about to turn the entire world upside down. And I don't know about you, but right now I look at our world and it feels pretty upside down. But the answer, the truth has not changed. The answer is still Jesus. Literally, our culture has been flipped upside down in the last months. But Jesus has not changed. The gospel message has not changed. The world is flipped upside down. Right? But Jesus is the steady rock we can build our life upon. And then this whole teaching, again, culminates then in verse 31. As Jesus makes this point over and over again, I'm about to turn everything upside down. And then Jesus asks them, do you finally believe? Do you guys get it yet? There's some crazy stuff about to go down. But all of your grief is going to be flipped upside down to joy. And, and he's like, I, I, I've been teaching you over and over and over again why I came and, and what I want to do in your life. Do you believe? Do you finally believe? He's, he's pleading with the disciples, guys, you have to get this. Because Jesus knows that literally in hours he is going to be on the cross. Do you finally believe? Do you get it? Again, I still don't think that the disciples really knew what Jesus was getting at. That he was about to do the biggest miracle of all. He was going to raise himself from the dead. You remember in John, right, that, that John uses miracles as signs of uh, of evidence that Jesus was the Messiah. And yet over the entire gospel, he only addresses seven miracles. In chapter 2, he turns water into wine. In chapter 4, Jesus heals the official son. In chapter 5, Jesus heals the layman by the pool. In chapter 6, Jesus feeds the 5,000. Also in chapter 6, Jesus walks on the water. Then in chapter 9, Jesus heals the man who was born blind. And then in chapter 11, Jesus raises Lazarus out of the grave. And now Jesus is looking at the disciples and says, if you don't already believe after all of that, well, this last one will convince you. Right? Because with every miracle, Jesus ups the ante. And now he's about to do the eighth and final one in the gospel. Right, and that is to raise himself from the dead. And that is when Jesus will do this one last miracle. And he will finish the job that he came to earth to do. And as Jesus pleads with the disciples, do you guys finally believe? Right, we have to ask the same questions to ourselves. Do you believe? Do you believe that Jesus was the Messiah? 
Do you believe that you need him as your savior? Do you believe that even after he is your savior, that it is a lifetime of work to journey forward to make him our Lord? And are you ready to go on that journey? Do you believe? Does your world need to be turned upside down? Because the truth is, that's why Jesus came. He came to turn everything upside down. And he said it over and over again. If you hold on to your life, you will lose it. But if you lose it for my sake, you will gain it. That's some upside down language. And do you believe? Have you received Christ as your Savior? Have you accepted him into your life? Confess your sin and invite him into your life. If you've never done that, if you've never joined the journey of faith, I hope that your journey starts today. Do you believe? And if you have done that, are you moving forward in your journey? And if you've been stalled in your journey, if you haven't grown, if you're not more like Christ today than you were yesterday, then it's time to reiterate the fact you believe and start working on your journey. Do you believe? Does your life need to be turned upside down? There's a testimony of a girl. Her name is Becca Miles. And she was, uh, in, she was attending a Christian college, and she was struggling in her life with depression. And she found her life got turned upside down by Jesus in 2014. Okay, and, and Jesus set her free. And in the midst of that, she got a tattoo on her leg to commemorate what God had done in her life. Okay, and this is a picture of that tattoo. And that tattoo says, as you can read it, it says, I'm fine. And she got this tattoo because she said, I went through my life convincing myself that I was fine. I don't need help. I don't need Jesus. I'm fine. But Jesus turned her life upside down. And when you turn this tattoo upside down, it says, save me. Does your life need to be turned upside down? I don't know where you are in your journey. But this question of Jesus is not just about salvation. But it is about every day of your journey. Because we have to reiterate that belief every day. Do you believe? Yes, I believe. Jesus, turn my life upside down today. Remind me that I need you. Remind me that no matter what I face, you're with me. Remind me that you can fix everything that I struggle with. The last verse in this chapter is a perfect summary of this entire section, of all of this teaching, right? The very last verse in John 16, John 16, 33, and Jesus says, I have told you all this so that you will have peace in me. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. Let that sink in. 
Do you have peace today? No matter what's happening around you, do you have peace today? You probably have trials and sorrows. Jesus said we would. But he also said, I will take those trials and sorrows and I will flip them upside down because I have overcome the world. And that's how you find peace. Right, is letting Jesus mold and change your heart. Because Jesus weighs these two options here in this verse, right? He says you can have peace or you can have trial and sorrow. And guess what tips the scales? Jesus. Again, I don't know where you're at in your journey today, but I hope that you can find peace. Peace in whatever you're facing. Peace in whatever victory God's given you. Peace in, in everything that you face. My final thought this morning is this. The Trinity all works together as one God to bring peace into our lives through divine power. Are you living in that power or on your own power? Again, the key to having everything flipped upside down is renewing our belief in Jesus every day, in every situation. God, we praise you this morning that you are alive. God, that you didn't stay in that grave. God, you flipped it all upside down. And God, we thank you for that today. Lord, we thank you for flipping our lives upside down. God, for taking our sin. God, and for for forgiving us and cleansing us, God, of any darkness. Lord, we pray that you would continue to shine your light in our lives. God, that you would shine your light through our lives into this dark world. And Lord, as we go this week, Lord, as we rise to the challenge, as we share you with our friends and our family and our neighborhoods and our coworkers, God, may they see you in us. God, may they see a life that's been flipped upside down by your love. We thank you for saving us. We thank you for transforming us. God, we thank you for giving us a hope and a future. Lord, unleash the Holy Spirit in our lives this week. We love you. We praise you. We thank you. Guide us as we go. In Jesus' name, amen.